sleeping together as we get up in this Bible. Somebody said amen. I heard that. I only heard one amen, though, but I'll take it. Um, let's, let's pray, uh, and then we're, we're going to dive in. Uh, and prayerfully, this is uh, tonight uh, an exciting and uh, hopefully well worth it topic that will be impactful for your lives, um, which should be the aim of the whole word of God. That's why the Bible says that it's profitable for all things. Uh, so let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, Father God, we are grateful to be uh, your followers, followers, grateful to be your servants, grateful to be uh, your disciples, grateful to get to know you. Um, your word says in John 17, 3, that uh, that's eternal life, uh, knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And so, uh, God, every time we gather to hear your word, every time we open up the pages of your word, it's an intent of our heart to get to know you better. Uh, and the, the purpose of that, God, is so that we might live our lives each and every day, um, using up every ounce of strength that we have to follow Jesus, no matter what it takes, no matter what gets in our way. God, may we be a people who do everything in our power to follow you. As far as it depends on us, may we fight to follow you. Uh, come hell or high water, come storms, come circumstance, come disappointment, come tragedy. God, don't let anything stand in the way of us getting to know you more. And so that's the prayer of your people today. That's our heart as we gather before you uh, to open up your word so that we might get to know you and follow you more. And we just pray that in Christ's name. Everybody said amen. 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 If you would, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about, or I guess the title, Christianity, a religion of do's and don'ts, or something much greater, right? This is not a sandwich, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, can anybody tell me what that is? It's just two pieces of bread, right? Potentially potato bread. That's not potato bread. Potato bread a little more yellow, right? It looks a little more soft, right? <laughs> but but this, this is not a sandwich. Right, so if I, go into, if I go into a store and I say, hey, I want a sandwich, this is what they're going to start off with, two pieces of bread. Now, I can go on there and I can tell them, I don't want tomatoes. I don't like lettuce. I don't want mayo or cheese or anything else. I can tell them all of the things I don't want on my sandwich, but that still doesn't make it a sandwich. The only way my sandwich actually becomes a sandwich is when I tell them what to add on to the sandwich. See, that's the same thing for the Christian life. Too many times we focus on all of the things that the Bible tells us not to do, that we never get to the point in our walks where we actually begin adding to our lives what God has called us to do to begin to mature. And until then, you haven't really experienced the Christian life. 
Just like this sandwich won't be a sandwich until you begin to add things to it, right? And so this is where we find ourselves in 2 Peter chapter 1, is he's giving us some very clear distinctives on what the Christian life actually looks like, what you're supposed to be adding to the Christian life, what God has actually called you to do, not focusing on what you don't do, right? And so let's, if we can, let's read this together, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll dive in. God doesn't call you away from anything without calling you to something else. So when God calls you away from sin, uh, away from the judgment of his wrath, he doesn't just leave you there. He gives you some instructions. Now that I've called you out of the bondage of sin, here's now what you're supposed to do, right? And so this is where we find ourselves in, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 3. His divine power has granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us. So here, Peter, Peter starts out by making a simple statement that's so impactful, it should change how we even think about the Christian life. Instead of thinking about all the things that you're lacking, about why you can't grow, about why life is so hard as a Christian, Peter here, he, he nullifies all that by saying, You've been given everything you need for life and godliness as a Christian. Everything you need to mature in Christ, to grow in Christ, to be a follower of Jesus, to be quote-unquote successful as a follower of Jesus, to experience victories, all of that, everything you need as a believer, you have already been given. That right there should change, change your view about Christianity. You can't make an excuse anymore about all of the things you can't do in Christ because the Bible says you've already been given everything you need. It's like, it's like being given a gym, right? You're given a gym. Inside this gym, it's all of the ellipticals and treadmills and Zumba classes and, and yoga, free weights, squat racks, you know, bench presses, everything you need, and you get stuck and put right there in the gym, but you never work out. 
Everything you need is right there. It's right, it's right there for your use. You have full access to it, but you refuse to use it. So you can't complain about not being in shape and not being healthy and not getting stronger when you have access to the gym and all the equipment you need and you don't use it. It's the same thing in the Christian life. We can't complain about not growing. We can't, we can't complain about what we're lacking when God has given us everything we need and we don't make use of it, right? We're going to get to later on in verse 5 where he talks about make every effort and what that means. He goes on to say, he says, but you've been, uh, or verse 3, his, his divine power has granted a, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then it says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so God, God's, God's given us access to everything that we need for the Christian life through a knowledge of God. See, knowing God intimately, experientially, getting to know God, like spending time really getting to know God. Like, do you know God? Not do you know about God? Not have you just heard some things? Not do you just kind of show up in church and sing the songs and come to the Bible studies, but you really don't know God in a way that you can make access to all the things he's given you to walk as a disciple of him. See, knowing God means that you're striving to walk with him. No, knowing God means that when you read God's word, you know how to apply it to your life. Knowing God means that you actually do the hard work of applying his word to your life, right? So know, knowing God, this is what J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowledge of God. He says, uh, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. This is eternal life that they may know thee and only, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, John 17, 3. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Wow. Knowledge of God. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let them glory, let them that glory glory in this, that he understands and knows me. He, he says, there's, there's nothing else this side of eternity that's worth boasting about other than knowing God. There's, there's nothing more enriching. There, there's nothing that strengthens you more. There's nothing that comforts you more. There's nothing that gives you more satisfaction than knowing God. Right? What of all the states God ever sees men in gives him most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. God is most satisfied when we know him. God is most satisfied in us when we know him. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, says God. Hosea 6.6. 6. Once you have become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. That's, that's why you're here, to know God. So he says... You've been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, through knowing God, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. See, when we, when we get to know God intimately, we get to know God's promises. See, we, we, most of us struggle on a day-to-day -day basis because we don't know God's promises or we don't believe them. 
See, this is what the knowledge of God does for you. Cares of life come along, natural disasters and chaos. That's, that's what happens in our life. When we don't know God, both, both salvifically and from experience, and when we don't trust God in terms of knowing God in our minds and in our hearts, this is what our lives look like. Am I the only one where I fail to believe God's promises and my life just looks like that? I mean, it rains outside, and I wanted to go play basketball, and my life looks like that. I mean, simple things. All it, take, all it takes is a little swerve outside of my intended agenda, and my life looks like that. Right? But the promises of God, man, man, the promises of God, I tell you what. It, it, all it takes in the midst of a storm is you to read some of God's word. All it takes is some of God's word, man, and, and that's what you get. You get this calm lake, nobody even around you, ain't no ripples in the water. I'm, that's, that looks peaceful till you get behind the trees and it's a grizzly bear and then uh, and all that type of stuff. But, but that's, that's what the promises of God does. Like, it, 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 like the promises of God stabilize our souls in the midst of chaos, right? But, but we don't, but it says that, that we're granted his very great promises through knowledge of him. And so you can't know the promises of God. You won't follow the promises of God if you don't know him. But the promises of God are, are a part of your growth. Because if you don't know the promises of God and, and, and life just happens and your life is constantly chaos, then you don't know how to rest in his word through his promises. Right? Let's just, I, I just want to look at, I just, I brought out 10 of the promises of God. Just to, I just picked 10. There's, I mean, there's thousands in the Bible. I, I just want 10. Here's 10 promises of God that you can go home with. Psalm 30, 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Somebody need that today. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's a promise. He promises, I am near to you when you're brokenhearted and I save you when you're crushed in spirit. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How are he going to keep you in perfect peace if your mind ain't on him? Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I need some rest. I need some rest. My rest makes me tired. I need some, I need some of Jesus' rest. Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a promise. That's a promise. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. No condemnation? Romans 8, 38, I'm sure of this, Paul says, neither life nor death nor angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. That's a promise. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Promise. Ephesians 2, 10, you're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in him. God's created you to walk in good works. 2 Timothy 3, 12, 
all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I only heard one amen. I heard amens on all that other stuff. Amen. Oh, bless you, God. Hallelujah, God. I need your rest. Persecuted. Oh, Jesus. That's, that's a promise to the Christian. If you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. To one extent, it doesn't say, but persecution will come if you live for Christ. James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's a promise. If you lack wisdom, ask God. How many times you lack wisdom and you don't ask God? You go ask your friend. Or Yahoo. What keeps you from believing the promises of God? This ain't a rhetorical question. I want to hear from you. What keeps you from believing the promises of God? Doubt? Life. What about life? <laughs> so when life happens and it doesn't seem to match up with, with the promise, does it not match up with the promise or what our expectations of God are? Those two different things. The promise and our expectations. What else? What, what keeps you from believing the promises? Lack of patience. I heard that over there too. Jesus, lack of patience. Pride. You said control? When people in the world prosper? Disappointment. I heard some up there. Obedience. Tradition. Both cultural and church tradition, right? Let's look at verse 4, that, the latter half of verse 4. So we talked about the great promises, so that through them you may become partakers or partners or sharers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So the corruption that's in the world, uh, it literally means moral decay or depravity. Uh, and so, basically what he's saying is he's saying that as you grow in the knowledge of God and are experiencing the promises of God that have given you access to the, the, the person of God where you're being formed into the likeness of Christ, you've, you've, you've been pulled out of the corruption of the world, Right? But, but this, is, this is predicated on your growing in knowledge of him and experiencing the promises of God, right? And so when we get, when we get further in verse 5 where it talks about make every effort and when it talks about supplementing or adding to your faith these different qualities, the, the idea that Peter is getting at is, is that you, you've got to be growing somewhere. So on one hand, you have growing in Christ through the knowledge of God and on the other hand, you have the corruption of the world by sinful desires, right? And so there is no neutral ground there. If you're not growing, you're sinking. You don't just stay still. 
There's no solid ground. To grow in one is to not grow in the other. So if you're growing in Christ-likeness, you're not growing in worldliness. If you're not growing in Christ-likeness, you're growing in worldliness. There, there, is no, there is no balanced scale where if you're not growing for Christ, you're not growing in worldliness. No, if you're not growing as a believer, I can best believe you're getting further and further from God. That's the point he's making. He's like, you've been pulled from the corruption of the world. You've been pulled from moral decay and depravity. You've been poor, pulled from sensuality and from greed and from uh, whoremongering. You've been pulled away from pride. You've been pulled away from arrogance. But if you're not growing in Christ, you, you'll slip back in. It's impossible not to. That's why he, he goes on and he says in verse 5, he says, for this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. Th see, there, there's an understanding here where you've got to now take some action. The Bible demands for you to take action and responsibility for your faith. You, there, there's no such thing as you just kind of get saved and then just don't do anything else and the Lord just kind of, voila, he's mature now. No, there, there's, a, there's a personal responsibility for you as a believer to do some work. Like when you're a Christian, you have work to do, right? Works don't save you, but works do grow you. There's a difference. And so he, he's, make every effort. Use, use every ounce of strength that you have. Do everything within your power. Make, like, there should be no effort left behind when it comes to growing in Christ. When, when you get before the Father, you shouldn't say, man, God, I left some on the table. He, he, he wants you to, man, I, I, left it out on, I left it all out on the field. Make every effort. True faith must grow, is what he's saying. You're not saved by works, but you do grow by works. So there's a dual reality at work where we both depend on God and work with God for growth, right? Make every effort, personal action, responsibility. So what does he say? He says, make every effort to supplement or to add, to your, to, uh, add your faith or supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Let's look at a, a few of these qualities here that Peter begins to talk through. Faith, the personal certainty that all God says and does is true, and that the way to all meaning and power in life is to take him at his word. Faith in God means to take him at his word, to believe him that everything that he says and does is right and true. Right? So he says, to, you've, you've got faith, right? You've got you've to, because you're saved not by works, but by faith, by the grace of God through faith. So you've got faith, but now he says, on top of your faith, you've got to add some stuff. Faith by itself is not enough for you to grow as a Christian. It's not enough. It's clear. Otherwise, the Bible would have said, just have faith. 
You don't see that anywhere in the scriptures where the Bible just says, just have faith. Faith is not enough. That's why he says supplement, add to your faith. Like take some vitamins. When you're working out, like you need some, like I'm, I just started that P90X thing again. God help me. Y'all, y'all pray for me. Jesus, that first week is a monster. Oh, God, have mercy. But I'm on week two, bless you, God. Uh, but but you, you, need, you need a supplement. You need, a pro, you need some protein shakes. One, it helps with recovery. Like if you ain't recovered from that thing, listen, I couldn't get up out the bed the other day. But you need some extra vitamins and some protein to help your body be in a position so you can keep working it out, right? Supplement. You got to add something to your faith. It can't just be there by itself. So add to your faith virtue or goodness. Uh, It's a word meaning energetic moral excellence. It is not simply an absence of bad habits, a life full of things one does not do, but a positive, vigorous pursuit of what is morally right and helpful in all relationships. Morally right and helpful, helpful in all relationships. It means doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. Doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. I mean, y'all know how we do. We kind of justify it. Because we always go to the outcome first and say, all right, well, if I know it's going to turn out like this, then I'm going to do this. And I'm justified in doing this because I already know it's going to turn out like that. No, no. Doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. The virtuous person is brave and generous and acts appropriately to all. All right? And then he says, to your goodness or to your virtue, add knowledge, discernment and discretion, wise practice and daily life of what one has learned of God's will. He wants us to know God not merely about God. An athlete may know the rules of a sport, but effectively, effective play requires knowing how to handle and move the ball in the midst of the game itself, right? So there's a huge difference. You can tell somebody who's actually played a sport and somebody who just kind of casually watches a sport. Might know the rules, but there's, there's always intricacies to a sports that are unknown to the common watcher, even if they know the general rules, right? Most people hate baseball, right? I love baseball. But most people might know some of the rules of baseball, like there's nine innings, there's three outs, you know, you got to swing a bat and hit the ball and catch it and throw it, right, and all that stuff. But, but in the game of play, there's some strategic rules, like where do you throw the ball if there's a man on first and second and it's hit to right field? Well, it depends on how many outs there are. What if there's one out? What if there's no outs? What if there's two? What if there's a man on third with one out and nobody on second or first? What do you do if the ball's hit to the shortstop? Right. Y'all looking at me like I'm, y'all like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but but those, are, those are intricacies to baseball that unless you've played, you wouldn't know. Right? I'm just using that as an example. Right? So that's what knowledge is, knowing how to be, like discretion and wisdom, knowing how to pr- appropriately appro- apply wisdom and knowledge based on given situations, right? Uh, self-control. To your knowledge, add self-control. To master and rightly direct your most live feelings and desires. It means mastery of the self, most precisely in the areas of desires of the senses. The discipline of putting one's passions on a leash. One, one theologian actually just wrote next to self-control as a translation, grow up. 
That's literally hey, grow up. Self-control looks ahead to perseverance in that uh, it so often is accomplished only by continuing watchfulness and prayerfulness. See, see self-control, like if, if a situation creep up, creeps up on you and you haven't prepared yourself to be self-controlled, you're not going to be. See, self-control takes some forethought where I've got to plan out, okay, now if this happens, you got to do this. Because if that happens and you don't prepare yourself to do this, you're not going to do this. You're going to do that. Like self, self-control, you have to plan to be self-controlled. You don't just roll over out of bed and be self-controlled. Nobody does that. So self-control is a discipline. You've got to train yourself to be self-controlled, right? Putting your passions on a leash. It means telling yourself no. That's what it means, self-control, telling yourself no. How often you tell yourself no when you want something? I ain't even going to get to the details of what you want. But how often do you tell yourself no? That's why it takes prayerfulness and watchfulness. Watchfulness means planning, thinking ahead. Prayerfulness means a dependency on God to do something you know you can't do by yourself. On your self-control, add to your self-control, perseverance. It means that we begin to control our passions. When we begin to control our passions, we take the next step by walking in that way for a long time. So once you begin walking in self-control, perseverance means that you walk in self-control for a while. Not just like that one time where you get real excited. It's like, man, I'm so proud of myself I didn't do that. And then tomorrow you go back and do that same thing again. Perseverance, perseverance means that there's like some time has passed and you've experienced the grace of God through some victories by being self-controlled, right? Perseverance is far-sighted endurance. I like that. Far-sighted endurance. Keeping on in spite of tough going because you believe in God's future, because you want to be ultimately accountable and because you expect the ultimate reward of God's warm, God's warm praise. In the realm of Christian living, perseverance is the willingness to take the time to build a life that is not spiritually shoddy, but will stand the test of daily use. This is then not a grit your teeth and hang on attitude, though that may be what we will have to feel at times. This is courage to move ahead because one sees, even through tears, the promises of God bound to be realized. Taking the example of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? Perseverance means that you've set your life up for the long haul, right? Regardless of how hard it is, but again, look, it has the promises of God in mind at the end. The end might be tomorrow. The end might be 10 years from now, but it has the promises of God in mind at the end. The promises of God are what continue to give you courage and strength to persevere. So as you believe in the promises of God, when you trust that God says he's going to do what he said he would do, you can persevere. Godliness. So add to your perseverance, godliness. Godliness is our alert awareness that God rightfully exercises active sovereignty over every aspect of our daily life. This conviction moves us 
to use thoughtful care and seeking right relationships with other persons, learning how to treat them by emulating how God treats us through his mercy in Christ, right? So when we enter in relationships with other people, the way we interact with people, the way we respond to people is dictated by how God interacts and responds to us. That's what godliness is. So you can't interact and engage people outside of a view of how God engages you. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. When you're not patient with people, when you're short-tempered, when you're not loving, when you're not willing to endure, like, what does that say about you? Like, that makes you a hypocrite. I, I don't, like, I think about my daily life. Man, Jesus, God, God has been patient with me in some stuff. Today. Constantly forgiving, constantly there, constantly loving, constantly patient, right? So, like, so, so godliness has in view the idea of interacting and relating to people the way that God interacts and relates to us, right? It has to be in view. Brotherly affection. Add to your godliness, brotherly affection. A commitment to personal relationships of concern, for and time with fellow believers. This gift has to be worked at, right? There's work involved, brotherly affection. Like, you don't love people either, easily, right? I don't know about you, but people get on my nerves sometimes. <laughs> Even people in the church. And I'm sure I get on people's nerves in the church sometimes, right? I'm sure of it. There's probably some of y'all that don't like me. That's okay. You got to fight for brotherly affection. <laughs> <laughs> Love for the brethren entails bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. I love this next part. I love this next part. It means guarding that spirit-given unity from destruction by gossip, prejudice, narrowness, and the refusal to accept a brother Christian for what he is in Christ. That first part right there, brotherly affection means guarding the spirit-given unity against all this nonsense. There's a God-given unity that he gives to the church that's found in Jesus Christ. Brotherly affection protects against all the things that seek to disunify the church. That's, that's why it says you gotta work at it. You, you have to work at not trying to break the church up through relationships and nonsense and gossip and slander and prejudice and being like, just being dumb in your mind. Right? There's a unity that God gives the church, and, and he wants us to be unified as a people. Right, Brotherly affection is one way that we work at that. He takes the, God takes that very seriously. Very seriously. Right? And then the last one, add to your brotherly affection love. Love is the crowning virtue, the, the pinnacle. This is uh, love not evoked by some qualification in the other person. Uh, like they don't have to earn, they don't have to do a bunch of things for you to love them, right? Uh, but like God's saving love towards us, again, there's that idea of how God relates to us, it originates in a sacrificial desire for the good of the other. Whether directed toward difficult Christian sisters or brothers or the unconverted who are incapable of returning such love at all, we are being recreated in the image of the one who has loved us with this exact kind of love. And we therefore must give as we have received from here, from him. Here is where all living, uh, here is where 
uh, where all living that begins with faith must take us. Here is where all the other virtues find their deepest meaning in the fact that this is the virtue which powers and coordinates the others. So Paul wrote of love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, so when it talks about this love that we receive from Christ, right, that's, we, I mean, one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 9, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, when, when you hear that verse, while you were yet an enemy of God, Christ died for you. I, like, that for me, if that doesn't provoke your heart to love people, regardless of where they are positionally, before you, like, I, I don't know what else would move you. Right? Love. So add to your, to your, to your faith love. Or add to your uh, brotherly affection love. Verse 8, it says this. It says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter says here, he says, if you have these qualities, but, but he goes beyond just pos- possessing them, right? He says, if you have these qualities and they're increasing, right? So it, increasing meaning constant growth. You're constantly growing in them. Right? You don't just possess them and then you're good as a Christian. There's this idea here where until Jesus comes back again, you will constantly have to grow in these things. Right? So how do you know when you are exhibiting these characteristics in your daily life? How, how, how do you know when you're exhibiting love, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, goodness, knowledge, brotherly affection, how, like, how do, you, how do you know that? Like, when can you tell, like, man, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. It's not prideful to know. Yeah. No, no rhetorical. I'm asking. Talk about that a little bit more. Repentance and forgiveness is that's the, right. That's always an indicator, right? When you're able to one repent, but when you're also able to forgive, right?
Right, right. Regardless of unbeliever or believer, like when, when what you're doing brings attention to God. Like that's huge, right? That's huge. Explain that a little more, Chris. <laughs> you don't got to go into too much detail, but explain that a little bit more for me. Uh, you know, there's, there's a certain level of conviction um, that can come over you when you know the Holy Spirit working in your life. Um, when you seek attention to do something, but like you just, um, there's something holding you back, and you know that you're growing in the Lord as a result of that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Self-control can even include not quenching the spirit. Because we do that often. I don't know if you knew that. But there are times where you quench the spirit. Where he tells you not to do something and you do it anyway. And you try to act like you ain't hear him. I was about to say, I thought that was just me. I was about to, y'all, better, y'all better not even try to stun on me. Like, y'all don't do that, man. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. Unselfish acts. Unselfish acts. Like legitimate, unselfish, without any underlying motivations. Right? I saw a hand back there. Dante. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, right, absolutely. I like that last part, looking for opportunities to serve, right? So these, these things, that's why, that's why, you know, Peter's making such a big deal about what we're supposed to be adding to our faith, right? When, 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 when you're adding these things, that's when you are growing. That's when you're fruitful for the kingdom. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, if these are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful, which means the opposite of true. If, if, if you're growing in these things, then you're being effective and fruitful in the kingdom, right? This is, this is the crux of the Christian life right here. It's not about all the things that you can't do, right? It's, it's about what God wants to add to your life, right? So many times, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people, man, how are you doing spiritually how you how are you doing how's your walk with the lord oh man like i'm not i'm not doing this and i'm not doing that no more man i'm so glad i'm i'm not doing that but but what are you doing though what are you doing i i know too many people who can run down the list of all the things they're not doing and they still don't look like followers of jesus still struggling to walk with god struggling in their prayer lives struggling to read the word, struggling in obedience, constantly torn between worldliness and godliness, because there's nothing being added to your life. We, we've got to begin to shift our focus and our frame of mind 
uh, from all of the things that are restrictions in the Bible to all of the things that God calls us to do, right? If you're, if you're doing these things, it automatically cancels out all the things you're not supposed to be doing. Right? But if you try to cancel out all the things that you're quote-unquote not supposed to be doing anyway, that doesn't mean you're adding any of this stuff. Right? So what, what, this is, this is, the, the, this is the, the beauty of the life that Christ has called us to, where he's, when, he, when we come to him, he, he is telling you to leave some stuff behind. You do got to leave some stuff behind. But it, the Christian life is not you coming to Christ and just leaving stuff behind. He's calling you to something much greater and much bigger, much more fruitful, much more satisfying, right? But then he goes on to, well, if you're not growing in Christ, then you are sinking into worldliness. We talked about that a little bit earlier, right? Um, then, then, he, then he goes on in verse, uh, in verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Meaning, like, he don't even look like a Christian no more. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Right? This word fall or stumble does not suggest that a believer loses salvation, for salvation does not depend on one's spiritual growth. The Greek word for fall or stumble means to trip up or to experience a reversal. Certainly one who is maturing in Christ will not trip up in his spiritual life as readily as one who is immature and nearsighted, right? This is another indicator of whether or not you're growing spiritually in the Lord. Like, do you continue to trip up regularly on the same things over and over again, right? Now, obviously that goes to say, like, we're, we're all sinners in here, Right? But, but there's a level of getting to maturity in your walk with God where those, those missteps become fewer and further in between, right? That's where you know where, where you're, you're growing in Christ. Not, it doesn't mean that you don't sin, but it means that those, those missteps that used to be so regular are getting further and further and further apart, Right? How is it possible for Christians, not a rhetorical question, how is it possible for Christians to be blind to and forgetful of God's truth in the way that they live their lives? Because that's what he kind of talking about, verse 9 and 10. How is it possible for Christians to be blind to and forgetful of God's truth in the way that they live their lives? Not in the word, Right? Right, those influences, that's a Proverbs chapter one. I was thinking of Psalm 119 when you said that I've hidden the word in your heart that I might in my heart that I might not sin against it. Right? Proverbs one, the second half of chapter one is talking about being near to those whose feet are swift to shed blood, right? That wrong, that wrong crowd. Keeping our distance from God in our prayer life. Keeping distance from God. Mm-hmm. Relationship with God on our terms. Right? Or being fearful of God that he won't forgive, or that he's not loving? What are some other ways? Uh, separating ourselves from uh, God's people and 
separating ourselves from God's people. Proverbs 18.1, the man who isolates himself does what? Seeks his own desires. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pastor E, when Pastor E preached that a few weeks ago, calling that, like, chaos one called that edutainment, right? We're constantly just gorging on media and, like, everything that the world, so, so much so that we're being influenced by it. Sometimes we don't even know it till it's too late, right? That's why it's, it's important. That's why we need to be constantly, 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 constantly growing, right? Look at verse... Look at verse 12 and uh, 12 through 15 for me with, real quick. And this is my last point uh, as, we, as we wrap up here. He says this in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. If you got a pen, underline, remind you. Though you know them and are established, underline established, in the truth that you have, verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, underline reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall, underline recall, these things. In these last few verses, Peter is making it clear that the purpose of him writing what he's written to this group of Christians is to remind them of these things because they're going to be needed constantly for the Christian life, right? And what he has in mind here is not a one-time reminder because in verse 15 he says, so that after my departure you may be able to recall at any time what I've taught you, right? So the, the idea here is that as we constantly are knowing God and getting to know God and we're increasing in these characteristics and we're growing and they're part of us and we're like the, the purpose of that is we're going to have to come back and look at this again sometimes. We're going to have to come back and remind ourselves like am I making every effort to add to my spiritual life love? Am I making every effort to add to my life brotherly affection? Am I making every effort to be self-controlled? Am I making every effort, right? And, it, and, and when, when Peter here gives this list, he, he uses the phrase, and, and add to, and add to, and add to. The idea here is not that you're doing one of these individual things. There, there's, a, there's a chain involved. They're all linked together. So you can't just try to add self-control without godliness and without brotherly affection. Like, no, it's, it's similar to Galatians 5, the, the fruit of the Spirit, where it's, it's one item. It's all attached together. together. So you, you adding brotherly affection is adding godliness, and it is adding love, and it is adding self-control. And so we, we have to constantly be reminded that we're, we're, we're to make every effort to strive to be adding all of these things to our life so that we are being effective and fruitful for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Uh, any questions before we pray? Questions, comments, anything? 
You said notes? Yeah, I'll give them to you. Did we not do steadfastness? Perseverance. Yeah, yeah. Same word. It's, yeah. I think in the ESV it says steadfastness, right? Yeah, I, I use multiple. I like the NLT and the, and the NIV as well. So my fault. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's a heart issue more than anything. That's not a that's not a doing issue. That's a heart issue. Right. And so uh, that's why constantly in the Old Testament, uh, you see God telling Israel, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. Right. Uh, and so that goes back to verse three of what Peter is talking about in, in chapter one, where he says through the knowledge of him. Right. And so for someone who's struggling with um, just feeling that burden to read every day or to pray every day or spend time with God, like I, I would suggest to focus your attention on getting to know him. The, the closer and closer you move to Jesus, the easier the burden becomes, right? Because um, when, 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 when you spend time with God because you want to, it's because you know him and you're getting to know him and you're being awestruck by him, and you're marveling at him, and you're so in love with him. And it's going to be a fight some days, right? It's going to be a fight some days. So sometimes you're going to have to wrestle up. So legalism isn't, doesn't mean that in those days where you don't feel like getting up and you get up and do it, that that's legalism, right? Legalism, legalism says that if I do this, I'm accepted by God, right? So those are two different things, because you're going to have to fight to get up and read your word. You're gonna have to fight to get up and pray. You're gonna have to fight. You're gonna have to fight for all of this stuff, right? There's a difference between thinking that that makes you accepted by God and fighting through dry periods in your soul, right? But the closer you get to knowing God, the closer you get to intimacy with God, the less of a burden that becomes. Does that answer your question? Cool. Yes, sir. You might have just answered this, but I just want to know. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, great question, Josh. Um, some of it is um, continuing to find that intimacy with the Lord, um, right? Some of that is done in your personal time. Some of that is done when you're gathered with other believers, right? Um, what, what I would suggest is, um, see, it's always good for Christians to kind of do an evaluation of where they are, right? That's what, that's what Peter says in, I think it's verse 9, where he says to make your calling and election sure, Right. And so what he's what he's basically saying is he's saying he's saying sometimes you got to step back and evaluate where you are. Right. Which I think is basically what you're asking. Right. Evaluate where you are. So a a practical a practical way would sit down because you said, man, I'm lacking in some of these. Well, how, how about sit down and write through what specifically out of these things am I lacking in? Right. And what are some ways that I can grow to begin fulfilling these areas? Right. And then what you do is you don't hold yourself to that list thinking, man, if I just do this list, if I just do this list, I'll be okay. But what it does is it gives you some, some key points and signifiers of saying, man, if I can begin to implement these in my souls, hopefully that brings me to a place where I'm, not, where I'm growing spiritually, uh, and then it just becomes a normal part of my routine, right? So let's say, for instance, brotherly affection. Let's just say you're lacking in brotherly affection, and you sit down and you write out your evaluation. Well, how am I lacking in brotherly affection? Well, man, I, I have a very short temper, right? And so you sit down and you write down, I have a very short temper, right? Go find some Bible verses that talk about what do you do with anger or having a short temper? Like, how do you respond in difficult situations, right? And you begin reading those and meditating on them and memorizing them and being prayerful and watchful, right? That's back to that self-control. You see how all these are tied in? So now, now you go to self-control and say, how can I be prayerful and watchful so that I can anticipate those triggers that I have that set me off to be short-tempered, right? And so now, because you're watchful and prayerful, you can identify the triggers that set you off. Man, these are some things that set me off to be short-tempered. What is it about these things that set me off, right? And now you keep going further and further and deeper and deeper into your heart, right? Right, that's some hard work. Oh, boy, right? <laughs> um, but that's, that's just somewhere to start. And you may need, it may need to be with a DNA partner or with your life group or with a close friend or somebody that can help you. See, sometimes the best evaluator of you is not you. Sometimes you need somebody else to say, like, and that's, that's hard to do, man. It's hard to go to somebody and say, listen, I'm not going to say nothing. Uh, t- tell me about me. <laughs> that's the scariest thing to do, man. That's the, especially somebody that knows you well, that's the scariest thing to do. Tell them, listen, and sometimes you got to do that. Just go to them and ask them to tell, the, tell, tell, tell you about you. You ain't going to say nothing. Listen, I'm not going to say one word. I'm not going to rebuttal. I'm not going to have any, a defense. I'm just going to hear what you have to say, and then, and then you go home in your prayer closet and, and, and work it out. <laughs> uh, but sometimes you got to do that, right? 
And you have to be prayerful because they may, they may not be on point on some things, um, but they may be on point about some other things. But you want to be prayerful about everything that they lay before you, right, if you go that route. Was that helpful? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, sir. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pick up my Bible and read it, whether I like it or not. Mm -hmm. It sounds crazy to say, but I'm just being. It don't sound crazy to say. If, if anybody in this room said they ain't been there, they're lying. <laughs> and, and then Tom's doing that. Um, and usually in this life. Yeah. Like in that position, like when you said that, I, I relate. I've been through that. And, and in the meantime, I'm just like, dog, just read your Bible. Just read, just read, just whatever. You know, read. So. Yeah, that's, that's a part of that. Make every effort. It is. Sometimes you got to fight for it, right? And there's, there's a difference between, again, fighting for it because you want to get that affection back between you and God. Yeah. And fighting for it for acceptance from God, right? That's a huge difference, right? That happens. Sometimes it's late at night. You ever been woke up by the Lord at like 2 in the morning, and you try to go back to sleep, and you're like, man, why can't I go back to sleep? And the Lord is like, I'm calling you. <laughs> it's like, right now, Lord? <laughs> Sometimes he ain't going to let you rest, man. He ain't going to let you rest. 
It's a good show. Hold on, hold on. You're not going to spoil nothing, right? Okay. Am I ignorant for asking that? Like, am I not? I'm like, I'm only on episode three, bro. You can't be talking about it. <laughs> Right. Get your mind right. This TV is fine, but at the end of the day, we be talking to niggas. Right. We be knowing about niggas. So, I mean, I, I feel as though a lot of times that I can approach you in different ways, but you may not never expect it. Uh huh. To reach out to me, you just be like, what just happened? Why? Yeah, you got it, man. You got to be sensitive to the spirit, man. Got to be sensitive to the spirit. Because he, he's calling for us. He's calling for us to meet with us. To, to read and because he wants to meet us when we read in the word of God, right? He wants to meet us when we read God's word, right? He wants to meet us when we worship through song and through prayer. He, God, God wants to meet you in your time with him. He does. And so uh, keep fighting for it. Keep fighting for it. Uh, I'm going to end us there because I know we're over time a little bit. Uh, let's pray, uh, and then um, let's, let's get out of here. Amen. Father God, we are so grateful for your word, um, that your word uh, is true, um, that we can believe it, um, that we can hold on to your promises, uh, that we might be rocked and uh, shaken by life at times, but because your promises are true, we can hold on to them, God. We can be uh, farsighted in our perseverance to keep pursuing you, uh, that we might uh, grow constantly in all of these things that we talked about tonight. Continue just to encourage our hearts, Lord, as I know we all go through those seasons where uh, it's tough spending time with you uh, and we feel like we don't hear you, God. Continue just to give us your grace uh, to reach out to you and to keep fighting for that time uh, so that when we do meet with you, God, there's such a, a rejoicing in our souls. There's such a quenching in our spirits uh, that's been satisfied just from being with God. There's nothing like just being with God. Uh, I don't care what's going on in life. I don't care what's happening. There is nothing like spending time and actually being met by God. Uh, and so, God, I pray that that would happen more and more often in our lives uh, and that you would utilize those times and utilize your word as a way to grow us up in the faith. Uh, so that we might be a people who will be known as a mature people in God. Uh, not because that's how we're presenting ourselves, but because we're walking in all of these qualities that you shared with us tonight. Uh, so be glorified in everything that we do. May our lives, our lips, and our hearts honor you uh, in all our ways. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.